We, we started a series a couple weeks ago um, on David, the life of David, and we're calling it The Journey of the Heart. And last week, we stepped into the most familiar story maybe in all of the Old Testament, the story of David and Goliath. If you haven't heard the story, I'll catch you up to speed, and then we'll unpack the rest of it in a bit here. But uh, Goliath was the champion, the warrior champion of the Philistines, who was Israel's sworn enemy. And every day, he'd come out to the battle lines against the army of Israel and say, choose a man to fight me. And for 40 days, the army of Israel would run away in terror. And then a teenage shepherd boy who had never been to a battle, his name is David, he shows up to bring some food to his older brothers, and they were a part of the army, and so they had also been running away from Goliath. But this is where suddenly we see a bold and courageous heart, as embodied in David, whose response to this Goliath presence in their lives was actually kind of a defiant indignation. Essentially, David's response to Goliath was, who do you think you are, Goliath? And that's the bold heart of David that we looked at last week. But when we looked at his heart, we also noticed some, some other hearts. We discovered what it looks like to have a lost heart as embodied in the war-weary soldiers of the army of Israel in 1 Samuel 17. Their response to that Goliath presence in their life was to live in fear, to cower and run to avoid the issue, to hope it would just, you know, stay over there. Let's not upset Goliath. Let's just tippy-toe around the problem. And every time they did that, according to 1 Samuel 17, and they did that every day for 40 days, they cowered and ran. Every day they did that, they felt a little more like cowards than they did the day before. They got a little smaller, felt a little weaker. Every day they died a little bit for 40 days until they had what we called last week a Goliath-dominated imagination, resulting in a Goliath sickness of the soul, and including David's brother, who we met, uh, Eliab. David's older brother, Eliab, hearing that David wasn't afraid, Eliab turns on David and verbally attacks his younger brother and says, what are you doing here? Who did you leave those few sheep with down in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You just came down here to watch the battle. And then verse 29, David does what you have to do with the Eliabs of your life. He turns from him, ignores him, and all he says is, Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? And then he turned away to someone else. So he stated his position. He didn't get into it with his brother. He doesn't allow unfair criticism to have much power in his life. He just gets on with his mission. Now listen, the truth is, if we were to meet David, I'm sure we'd find him a little bit cocky, a little bit arrogant. Um, but that's kind of what we looked at last week was more of Eliab, his effect on David, and David just turning away, right? But think about his brother some more. His brother was so infected by this Goliath sickness of the soul that he had lost heart. He had become a cynic. He had become a critic. And I thought about that some more this week. I've been there before. Like Eliab, I've been in his shoes. I can think of several situations where I was tired or worn out, where I was sick of being on the run or feeling like I was just dealing with critical people all the time. Uh, I was hurt and wounded over something that happened, and pretty soon I turned cynical. And friends, when we do that, we all do that, it's a sickness. It's infectious for sure. 
And another thing about it is that the enemy knows how to pounce and bring division and arguing and gossip into those situations and make things even messier because it's contagious. Now, the cure in part, at least to that sickness of the soul, this, by the way, it's not a magic wand. This is a beginning step. But the first step in recovering your heart when we go to that place is to remember your heart, your true heart, your truest, deepest heart, the heart that God put within you when you became a follower of Jesus. And what we need to remember is that we have a redeemed, washed clean, alive to God, a brave heart. We have to start remembering the things that we knew, especially if we've been around a while. Uh, We have to remember the things that we knew back when we were the Davids, uh, when we were young. Things about giving ourselves to something bigger than me, something bigger than us about believing God no matter what happened, about recognizing, yeah, yeah, Goliath is big, but God is just bigger. And when we remember those truths, we can begin to recover our heart. But as important as that even remembering is in developing that bold heart like David or recovering a lost heart like Eliab's, friends, it's simply not enough to, be, to remember your true heart and be inspired In fact, today's talk for me is a little harder because if we're going to recover a courageous heart, somewhere on the line, it takes action. We have to move. We have to go toward our Goliath. We have to face down our Goliath. And oftentimes, our ability to face down our Goliaths in our life, it it begins with, with lions and bears, and sometimes Vikings and Packers and Cardinals and Seahawks. Sorry, I I knew that joke wouldn't work, but I went there and did did it anyway. But we look ahead in the story, we move on here, and I'll just read from 1 Samuel 17 to catch us up. Verse 31, what David said about fighting Goliath was overheard, reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to King Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. By the way, because they had lost heart. (laughs) They had lost heart. He says, don't lose heart. He says, your servant, I will go and fight him. But Saul said, you're not able to go against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy, but he's been a fighting man since he was a boy. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Here's one of the things I think we learned from this part of the story of David. Bold hearts. And I'm talking about the kinds of hearts that don't get intimidated by situations that come. Or even when we do get intimidated or are fearful, we don't let that stop us. In spite of our fear, bold hearts instinctively move towards the Goliaths of their life, even when no one is looking. And whether someone would know you are or not. Let me say it a different way here. You will instinctively know how to deal with the Goliaths of your life if you've been dealing with the lions and the bears of your life all along the way. And in David's life, he's out tending sheep by himself. 
No one's there to see him or watch him. When the lion or bear comes along, it didn't matter which one it was. Lions and bears were just a part of the deal. If you're a shepherd, lions and bears come with the territory. Lions and bears are just part of life for a shepherd. And here's the deal for you and for me. All of us have lions and bears. They come with the territory. They're just a part of life. And when they came to David as a young man, he learned a way to handle them. And here's how he handled them. He went after them. He went toward them. He engaged them. And do you know that every time he did that, something began to be formed in him? And what was formed in him every time he did that was that his heart grew a little bit bigger. Every time he went toward it, his heart grew a little bolder, his spirit a little stronger, his faith a little more powerful, so that by the time Goliath came along, he just did what he'd always done. <laughs> he went after him. See, he had become the way he did his life, everyday life. And he was confident, and his confidence was in God. You know, I think that, that because David believed when he did this, that he was doing the right thing, when he was doing the, the noble thing, like defending a sheep that couldn't defend itself, that he knew God was with him in that. I mean, think about that. Like, sheep have no capacity to defend themselves, and I think the truth is this, when a lion or a bear comes to attack something that can't defend itself, and you intervene, when you stand up for, for people who can't defend themselves, moving toward the poor or moving toward the oppressed, you need to be confident that just like David, God is with you when you do that. Like here at Hope Covenant, when we see an injustice as a church, we want to stand up and say, hey, we're going to fight. We're going to stand against that uh, thing that would try to steal the hearts of people. We're going to go after the lions and the bears that have the potential to enslave the people of God. And we have to know, friends, that, that when we do stuff like that, God is with us. So we step up and we say, I'm going to throw that stone as hard as I can, no matter whether it works or not, whether I win or get whooped, I'm going after the bear. I'm still going after the lion. I'm still throwing the rock at that giant. And even if he still wins, I'm still going to do it. And every time you face a lion or a bear or a giant, your heart gets a little bolder, your spirit gets a little bigger, your faith gets a little stronger. And here's the deal. All of us have lions and bears. It comes with the territory. It's a part of life. No matter how old you are, no matter how young you are. In fact, I think it's better for us to learn how to face this stuff when we're young. I mean, I have memories of my, my son Noah when he was, when he was little. I'm, I remember when he went to kindergarten. Anybody remember kindergarten, kinder, taking your kid to kindergarten day? Anybody remember those stories? Yeah. Now, he was ready for it. He was a, he was a bold kid. But I remember a bunch of the other little kids saying to their parents, I don't want to go, don't leave me here, right? All these other little kids were doing that, and the parents had to say, sorry, sorry guys, you're, you're going to kindergarten. Because for some kids, some of us, kindergarten was huge. Kindergarten was scary. But you know how you learn to do the Goliaths? By doing the kindergartens, right? You got to go towards it. I mean, this is just simple stuff from everyday life. And then eventually you got to go to junior high. That's a whole nother Goliath, right? So thank you, Jesus, for Hector, Mikey, Sh Kelly, and Sharon with those kids. But um, 
One of the things I admire about my, my son, just watching him grow up, is that he faces lions, he faces bears, and I know for you that so do you. So do you in this room. And every time you do that and have done that, whether it's going to kindergarten or going to soccer or football or, or it's going to college or doing your assignment, every time you do that stuff, your heart gets a little bolder, your spirit gets a little bigger, your faith gets a little stronger, so that when the actual Goliaths show up in your life, you know what to do. And you might even say, listen, honestly, I don't know if I'm going to beat them or not when I get out there. But here's what you do with the Goliaths. You go towards them because that's how you do life well. So what's your lion? What's your, what's your bear that you're looking at? It could be anything. It could be as simple as a difficult decision that you're facing that you don't want to have to do. You don't want to think about it. You're just hoping it goes away. You could approach it that way. Oh, I hope it just goes away. Or you could say, okay, I'm going after that bear. I'm going after that one. Maybe it's a project at school, maybe it's a project at work, and it's hard, it's difficult, it feels overwhelming, you'd like to just ignore it, so you could just ignore it, or you could say, I'm going to go after that bear. I mean, it could be really simple things, like, like, like maybe there's a phone call that you don't want to make because you're afraid you're going to hear a no. Or maybe you need to say something to someone that's a little difficult, maybe you disagree with someone. And you could. You could procrastinate. You could lose three nights sleep over it. Or you could say, I'm going after that. And see, every time we go after it, we get a little bigger. Every time we don't, we get a little smaller. And friends, we all know that it's much bigger than phone calls or, or projects. It could be a parenting challenge that some of you are facing right now. Maybe one of your kids is going in a direction that you know is hurting him or hurting her uh, and, and it's, it's going to hurt them eventually if they keep going the way they're going. But you know that it's going to take some energy. It's going to be difficult. It's going to take time for you to confront this in love with your kid. So it's tempting to just ignore it, to tippy-toe around it. You know, we're temp- we, we get tempted to ask God to fix it by remote control, right? <laughs> I think a lot of us do that. So we could do it that way. Or we could say, I'm going after that bear, believing that God will be with me when I do. I mean, how many of you believe here that God is with you when you say things like, I'm going after my kids because it's the right thing to do? How many believe that God is with you when you do that? Yeah, God is with you. And so what we do is, like David did, we pick up our five stones of our meager parenting skills, right? We go with what we've got. Back to our story here of David and Saul. Saul David says to him, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So King Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Now we got to give Saul a little bit of credit here because the deal is still on, right? If the, if the Philistines win, then all the Israelites are slaves to them. So he knows that if this is going to work, it has to be a God thing. Um, But Saul wants to give David a shot, so he puts him in the best armor they've got. So we move on in the story, verse 38. It's kind of a funny scene if you imagine it. Then Saul, remember he was a big dude, right? Dressed David, a teenage boy, in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he wasn't used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. I mean, just try to imagine the scene, right? 
Saul puts all his best stuff on David. This is the championship armor, and David can't even walk, which is not going to be a good thing if you're going into battle with a big guy, right? So just imagine, though, too, then the courage that it took for David to take that off. David, a peasant, to say no thanks to the king. Hey, Saul, it's not me. And again, Saul's a warrior. David's just a shepherd boy. And I think it would have been easy for David here to say, ooh, okay, uh, wow, thanks, Saul. I'm going to need this armor. <laughs> it's going to make me look good. Or he could have thought, oh, well, you know, Saul knows more than me. He's been at this longer, and the armor looks like a good idea, so I'll just do it his way. But I think David knew something really important. He knew himself, he knew his enemy, and he knew God. He knew that he was David, not Saul Jr., And he didn't have to try to be Saul Jr. because he could be David. David, the young man after God's own heart. David, the young man who was secretly anointed to be the next king. David, who had spent hours and hours alone with God as he watched over his sheep. David, who had a God-dominated imagination and was intimidated by nothing because he knew who he was and he knew who his God was. He wasn't... Saul Jr., he was David. Little word here about Saul's armor. And listen, there's nothing wrong with Saul's armor. It just wasn't David's. It didn't fit him. And and if we try to imagine that scene like I did, I I think it dawned on me that that if we're going to do what David did there, like you'd really have to be confident and know who you are, which is a journey for some of us here who aren't really sure who we are, have no idea who we are, um, and lots of folks, especially in our culture, so many people are just looking for somebody else, another voice to just tell them what to do and what to think. And so for us to do something like this, to take off Saul's armor and say, it isn't me, it doesn't fit, like you'd have to know your way better than many of us do. Like we'd have to understand our own heart. We'd have to accept the gifts that God gave us to give instead of being envious of everybody else's gift. Like, we'd have to take the gift that God gave to us and be willing to give it, like to throw it, stick with the analogy, to to throw that stone as hard as you possibly can. Back when I was in Bible college in my first year of ministry, I used to spend a whole lot of time and energy looking at who was the the latest and greatest in, in church stuff, and I got to watch some really good leaders and pastors do some amazing things. But maybe one of the best things that I learned in my first years of ministry was this. Doug, don't try to be somebody else. Be who God called you to be. And for me, it was much bigger than that. Because I have a lot of uh, pastors and leaders that I admire and some that I've befriended and are mentoring me. But, but, but I had to keep remembering, Doug, don't try to be a Dave Johnson Jr. or a little Billy Graham or a Rick Warren or a John Orberg. All really good men. J- just be Doug. That's who God wants to use. Just be you. That's who God wants to work through. Um, Years ago, one of my mentors, I think it was uh, Pastor John Setzer, Dr. Setzer said to me, Doug, you can't wear Saul's armor. You can't do ministry someone else's way. You can't wear the armor of the senior pastor that you're working for at that time. Take off, he said, take off the armor of the so-called experts and what they tell you ministry is supposed to look like or what leadership is supposed to look like or what successful church, quote-unquote, is supposed to look like. And Dave Johnson said something similar. He said, Doug, find your way. 
He said, find the way that God has gifted and wired you. Identify what your five smooth stones, or maybe you got 10, or maybe you got three, maybe you got one, whatever they are, get out there and then throw those stones as hard as you possibly can. Which takes a journey for us to do, because it's real easy just to copy somebody else or to take the shortcut or read books about it. I mean, I think about a guy I used to do ministry with. He was really gifted, had the potential to be an incredible leader at the church we were serving together. But he was, in my opinion, just addicted to reading and devouring the so-called leadership formulas that were being pushed all the time. He actually said it was his only hobby. And sadly, what he was trying to do was to fit into Saul's armor, and he got burned out, became ineffective, frustrated. He, He just didn't ever find his own way. So, I mean, we can learn from this stuff, but we have to know how we're wired and how God has created and designed us. And I think that's true of us as a church as well, here at Hope Covenant. We have to know what God has called us to do, and we need to do it the way that God has wired us to do it. We're not trying to be like other churches. We're trying to be who God called us to be, this family of hope. And it's real easy for us as people to do this too, where we just want to wear Saul's armor, right? We just want somebody else to make the hard decisions for us. And it it just doesn't work that way, right? It it doesn't work that way, not for parenting, not for picking your career, not for finding your mate. And as each each of us face these great battles of life, just remember, like, this is your life that God gave to you. Um, Nobody else can choose your weapon for you. Not a pastor, not a teacher, not a book, not a boss, not your friend, not a parent. These are your gifts your children, your time, your possessions, your mind, your calling from God. It's it's yours. And your battle is immensely important to God. No one can choose your weapons for you. And we live in a world that just puts pressure on us, like Saul put it on David. But, but, But God has created you, and he wants you to step out in this great adventure of, of, of following him, of walking with God. And David had done that, so he had the confidence to take off Saul's armor. And then in verse 40 we read, Then he took his staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the stream. He put them in a pouch of his shepherd's bag. And with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. We'll pause right there. One of the things I love about this part is the symbol of the five smooth stones of David. I mean, you think about this. He's going against a warrior giant. These five smooth stones look incompetent, right? You can't beat a giant with that. But it's just all he had. So he took it. In fact, um, Heidi, where did we put the, uh, are they starting down there? There's a little red bowl on the end on this side. On each row? Will you, will you grab a stone? Everybody on the end over here, grab, just grab it and pass it all the way, all the way across here. Just these smooth stones. Pick a good one, because you'll get to keep it. Um, thank you, Vanna White. That's very good, honey. Thank you. So just go ahead and pass those out as we continue here. I mean, you think about these smooth stones. Uh, this is all David had. It's what he was given. 
And so even think about this, pull it back into the parenting realm. Parents, when you pick up the five stones of what you think are your quote-unquote meager parenting skills, and then you go ahead and you talk to your kid, but then afterwards you walk away from your deal with your kid thinking, boy, I didn't say it right, I didn't say it well. Anybody besides me ever have that happen? Yeah? A couple of us? Okay. Boy, the rest of us need to ask the rest of you how this goes. Learn from you. But parents, when you do that and you, and you just get confused, right? Listen, you can take your stones, and what you got to do is you got to take them and you throw them as hard as you can. And I don't mean throw stones at your kids, okay? This is a metaphor. <laughs> metaphor, okay, metaphor here. But every time, every time we wade into that difficult thing, your heart gets a little bolder, your spirit gets a little bigger, your faith gets a little stronger, and how many of you know every time we don't go after that, we feel a little smaller, we feel a little weaker. This morning as we were getting ready to come to worship and we were praying with the worship team and our intercession team that prays with us uh, before the service, by the way, if you're somebody that wants to intercede and pray with us, 845, we meet in the conference room and then come out here and pray with the worship team and, and myself. Um, but we were praying this morning and, and I just was kind of impacted by the enormity of what we're really trying to do when we gather on a Sunday morning. And, and even today, just the idea of trying to recover and reclaim people's hearts. And for, for some of us, maybe not even just recover, but some of us, our hearts uh, have gone through so much that your heart needs a resurrection because our hearts feel dead or lost. And then it's just the question is, oh my goodness, how would we do something like that? How would we help people's dead hearts come to life? Like, how do we awaken and recover hearts that have been lost? And I just thought, you know, what we do is we throw stones at them. And, and what are our stones? And when I was talking to the worship team, what are our stones? I'm like, well, we got some stones. We got uh, four or five songs here. Woohoo, aren't they scary? That'll, that'll do it against the giant, right? Um, and, and I've got a talk, I've got a sermon, um, and quite frankly, it doesn't look like much against some of the lostness and despair that maybe some of the hearts are experiencing here this morning. And so when we look at it that way, it's, it's tempting to go, well, do we just say, forget it, that's all we got, so forget it? No way. We come and we offer it. See, here's the deal. What we do is that we step up here, uh, we serve out in here. And we believe that recovering people's hearts is something that God really cares about. So because we know God cares about that, we're going to get up here on the platform or in this room. And I told the worship team, hey, you just get up there and throw those stones as hard as you can. Just play and sing the best you can. And I'm going to do my talk, and I'm going to throw my talk as hard as I can. And we're going to see what God does when he shows up with, with our stones to help recover people's hearts, to raise hearts from the dead. And it doesn't depend on what songs we choose. We like to pick good songs. We like our worship team to practice and sound good. We like it when our microphones work. We like it when the video plays, right? It's all wonderful, but sometimes we have glitches. You guys have been here when we've had glitches, besides today, right? Yeah, a few of us, right? Um, we had a video a few weeks ago, and the sound wasn't on for the beginning, and, and nobody out here probably notices that much or cares that much, but, you know, those of us that put this together are like, oh, oh, man, we missed it, right? Um, you know what? Listen, it doesn't matter. See, for David, he stepped up and threw his stones as hard as he could. He may have even stumbled on the way to the battle and fallen down or tripped or something. It's not in the text, but it wouldn't matter. It doesn't matter. He didn't have to do it perfectly. 
See, David stepped up, he threw those stones as hard as he could. And God worked a miracle by taking that stone that looked like it couldn't do anything. Look at the stone in your hand. You don't look like you could do probably much with that, right? But when God gives it the supernatural energy, it can bring a giant down. So for our team that I was thinking about here, it doesn't matter if the video didn't work or the microphone didn't work. Just get in here, throw your stone as hard as you possibly can because we are fighting for the hearts of people. And so we're going to trust that God will bring the giant down and raise up our hearts. And this is a huge deal. Look at what happens next, verse 41. Meanwhile, it says, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him, because, you know, he's big, but he still needs somebody in front of him, I guess, right? He kept coming closer to David. He looked David over, saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. So pause there. Um, fellas, so there's trash talk, right? Bible, right? It's biblical. Trash talk is biblical. There you have it right there. Evidence and proof. <laughs> David's new at this. He, he probably does a little too long of a trash talk, but we'll, we'll read it anyway. Verse 45, David said to the Philistine, well, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God army of Israel, who you have defied. And this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. We get excited there, right? Um, this very day, I mean, I can see Goliath like he's about, do I fight him now? Oh, wait, no, he's still, he's still talking. Oh, now? Oh, he's still talking. He's still talking. Uh, he says some more. He says, this very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel, and all those gathered here will know it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Philistine's like, oh, he's done. He's done. Okay. So then the Philistine moves closer to attack him. And it says, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead. He fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand. He struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine sword, drew it from the sheath, and after he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. I don't think we tell that whole story usually in the children's ministry with the cutting off the head part, right? <laughs> Noah, when he was, what, like three or four, he had a children's Bible. You're gonna, I'm really going to owe you lunch today, aren't I? Um, he had a children's Bible. They didn't have that part of the story. So the first time I read him, like, the, you know, the full version, he thought I was making that up, like a whole decapitation piece, right? Um, but it's there. It's in there. So there he is, David. One smooth stone, a sling, a courageous heart, and confidence in God. He did what no one thought was possible. See, David threw his stones as hard as he could. And I throw my stone every Sunday morning as hard as I possibly can. Some of us in our parenting, we need to throw our stone as hard as we can. But friends, even when we do throw that stone that we have, like for me, my confidence, it's not in my sermon. It's not in the songs we pick. It's not in us saying it perfectly as parents to our kids. That's not where our confidence is. Our confidence is in this, that God is with you when you fight for the right thing. When you go towards your lion, when you go towards your bear, God is with you. So do that and take your stone and throw it as hard as you possibly can.
I think about those of you that help with our kids' ministry. I think about the, the team that works with our teenagers. And if you're in here, and some of them are in with our kids right now, um, but I would ask them, you know, what are the stones you have in your hands, right? I don't know what you have in your little pouch. I don't know what you bring to the game when you come in to help with the kids. But if you take that stone of just loving these kids and you throw it as hard as you can, I'm here to tell you that when you throw that stone, God is with you. And every time you throw that, God is with you. And even though we go in, some of us that are new or wondering if we could volunteer, we go, I'm kind of nervous to join that team. What if the kids don't like me? What if I can't connect or relate? But we do it anyway, maybe thinking, you know, what good's this going to do? How can I have an impact? Listen, every time you're tempted to believe that it won't do any good, but you do it anyway, <laughs> your heart gets a little bolder, your spirit a little bigger, your faith a little stronger. And then dial it back to all of us here. I don't know this morning what your Goliath is, but I do know this. If you let your Goliath, whatever it is, intimidate you, convince you you're helpless, if you run away day after day like the Israelites did, you will die a little every day of your life. You will. Like you'll lose heart. Your life is too precious to God. The battle is too important for any of us to go down that road. And so I'm confident that if we'll stop running away, if, if we'll face our Goliath with one small stone and confidence in God, that Goliath that you're facing doesn't stand a chance. See, our God is stronger than anything this world can throw against us. I'm going to ask the worship team if they would come back up. And we're going to sing another song or two, depending on how much time we have here. And, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask all of you to go ahead and stand up with us here. Take that stone, the one that we just passed out, and hold it in your hand and, and just stand together here. And we're going to sing, and if Cody plays the guitar too loud, just throw that stone at him as hard as you can, right? <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> I should know better than to pick on Cody in public. Yeah, yeah. Think of verse 45. I'll read it again. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. And all those gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or spear that the Lord saves. And I love this line. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into all of our hands. And so again, I don't know how big your Goliath is, but I'll guarantee you this. He's not <laughs> bigger than God. He or she or it is not bigger than God. So I want us, as we hold that stone in our hand and take it with us this week, maybe carry it in your pocket or your purse or put it somewhere that you're going to see it this week, but I want us to, to believe God for a bold confidence in him and let that stone be a reminder to each of us that we want to take what God has given us. We want to step up to that battle line of whatever it is that we're facing and that we're going to throw it at that Goliath with everything in us. Because whatever our battle is, that battle is the Lord's. So let's allow God to dominate our imagination and see how he helps us face down the Goliaths in our lives. 
I want you to bow your heads, and I want to just speak some things over you um, as we begin to move into a couple songs of worship here. Father, I pray for your goodness over these people, over myself, over the family here of Hope Covenant, of those that are visiting with us today. I pray that you would give us a picture of your incredible love for us, and that when we see your love for us and that you are for us, it will grow our confidence and our courage that you are with us, and there's nothing that we cannot face. I pray for our hearts, that our hearts would trust in you, the God of angel armies who is with us, who loves us, who is for us and will never leave us. I pray as we worship now that you would minister to our hearts, that you would even show up in some ways that change things for some of us. In Jesus' name.